nice to see everybody here today on this Memorial Day weekend, worshiping the Lord. As a community, like I said, it's always sweet, worshiping the Lord uh, solo, as I did this morning in the park before I saw Sister Kathy on 3rd Avenue. I worship God, and, but when we come together and we worship in community, there's just something, something so sweet to it. And God really does encourage us to do both, to do one-on-one with the Lord, to do family worship with the Lord, and of course, with the community of believers. Would you open up to Romans chapter 5? I'll read a text out of 5, out of 14, then I will do most of my reading out of chapter 8. And today's title is A Time of Suffering, as we continue to do our series on Christian end times eschatology and understanding the time we live in so that we can properly worship Christ and we can live in this hour that the world calls the last day, as you say. The Bible calls the last day, as Paul calls it in Romans chapter 13, verse 11, the last hour. And that's where we find ourselves in redemptive history. We're in the last hour. We're in the last day. We're in the last days. How are we to act as Christians? How are we to live? How are we to put on Christ and make no provision for the flesh? How are we are to handle suffering in this last hour? So that is where we find ourselves today, and we'll be reading out of Romans chapter 5 first, 3, 4, and 5. As something's going on with my logo, so over here, let me see. There we go. Thank you. Starting in verse 3. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. How many are rejoicing in your sufferings? Okay, I'm glad to hear that. Uh, If someone doesn't understand Christianity and they're here for the first time, they're saying, well, something's going on in this place. (laughs) Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And this kind of hope, Paul says, does not put us to shame, or it doesn't disappoint, as the NAS version says. Why? Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, which has been given to us. Could you go over to chapter 14? Chapter 14. Actually, chapter 15, I apologize. And I will read verse 15. I will read verse 13. I'm trying to confuse you in your suffering. Paul says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound. Can you say abound in hope? hope. Now you can go to chapter 8, starting in the 14th verse. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, and of course daughters, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. Paul says in verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. 
For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now, and not only creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the heart knows, knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God and all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined he also called, and those whom he called he also justified, and those whom he justified he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not now give us graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. <coughs> who can condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Let's pray. We could end the sermon right there. Father, we thank you for this great blessing that Paul sheds into our hearts, Father God, of the awesome work of Christ, followed up by the awesome work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Something that Moses and the law could not do, Father God, but the gospel of Jesus Christ truly sets a man free, Father God. And we thank you that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. We thank you, Father God, for the witness of the Holy Spirit with our, with our spirits, that we are truly sons and daughters of God, as we're led by the Spirit and not by the law of works, Father God. We bless you and we worship you, Father God. And we thank you that in some way we know we can rejoice in our sufferings, Father God. We thank you that there's a redeeming factor in every hardship the Christian goes through, Father God. That truly all things are really working out together for our good as you produce in us the character of Christ. God, we bless you and we worship you, sovereign God of our life. We thank you for every good and perfect gift. Breathe upon the text and let the hope not just any hope, not a wish, God, but the true living hope of the Holy Spirit abide in our hearts, God. In Jesus' precious name, amen. As we have been speaking about the end times, 
consider uh, specifically the end of human history. It's not a subject that you hear much about, but human history as we know it will come to an end. But it's not going to come uh, the way science believes it's going to come, or because, I should say, the way science believes it can come. It's going to come because God's going to pour out his wrath, as he said in his word. And those who are in Christ don't have to worry about the wrath of God, because Christ saved us from it. But the end of human history is coming, and as Christians, God wants us to understand and perceive and have insight into the times that we live, so that we can orient, orientate our lives and our wills and our purpose with God. And that the Christian attitude of how we live in this world at this last hour, in these last days, and not just uh, our attitude, but the character that is formed... And we spoke about this last week, about how last week we were speaking from God's perspective. We are living in an hour, as Paul says, to make no provision for the flesh, but to put on Christ. And from God's perspective in all redemptive history, this is the greatest hour to be saved by grace and be transformed by grace. We have such a marvelous New Testament promise that, uh, that, that Christ has given us of this wonderful grace of God that saves by faith and changes us from the inside out. This is not about striving. I ask all of us today, is there struggles? Are there weaknesses? Are there things in our life we want to change? I will tell you now, as you pick up your cross, you trust in Christ. The same way you got saved is the same way you're going to change. That's The marvelous grace of God. He changes us from the inside out as we trust Him. And trusting can be painful at times. But this is one of the this is the hour we live in. This is some of the the characteristics of it. Tonight is about another aspect of this last hour. As last week was putting on Christ and making no provision in this last hour. Tonight is different. Tonight is what Christian thinkers and Christian writers over the centuries have called the already not yet perspective on God's timetable. And I will explain that a little bit, and the text gives us uh, some good insight into it. The already not yet. The already is the kingdom of God has come in power. Christ has come. He is king. Where the king is so is the kingdom of God. The Holy Spirit is here now where the Holy Spirit is, and the truth is elevated. There is King Jesus. There is the kingdom of God. And that's where we are now. We are in the kingdom. We have the presence of God within our midst at all times. No matter where we are, no matter what kind of suffering we go on, we can cry out to the Lord, and He's an ever-ready help in times of trouble. He is always there. He is never late. He is always right on time. He was always there to encourage us in our hearts. Salvation, uh, the power to heal, the power over Satan, uh, life in the spirit, as Paul says in Romans chapter 14, that the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. This is the already. It's the kingdom of God. We're sealed with the Holy Spirit. We have the pledge of the Holy Spirit. We have the first fruits of the Holy Spirit. We have the guarantee of our inheritance from by the Holy Spirit. What Paul is saying in Romans chapter 8 is not just the awesome ministry of the Holy Spirit, but it's the awesome ministry of the Holy Spirit to protect God's children to the last moment until the day of their redemption. Understand something, this is without doubt one of the clearest understandings of chapter 8 is eternal security. 
And Paul is making that clear. That is part of the already. Doesn't it sound good? But let's talk about the not yet. The not yet still hard. I have the pledge. I have the seal. I have the guarantee. I have the first fruits of the spirit. I can feel that he who's in me is greater than he who's in the world. But yet the flesh is warring against the spirit in me. I, I feel like we're there. I praise God. I pray to God. I witness for God. I live for God. I love the Lord. And at times I can feel like heaven is all there. And at other times I can feel in a total wilderness. Am I alone? It's the already. I got the guarantee. You have the guarantee. We know it. But it's the not yet. It's not the consummation. There's still one more aspect of the kingdom of God. And that's when Christ comes back. Ushers in a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. The not yet, the full blessing of the kingdom, the consummation, that's a perfect body, the uninhibited presence of God, uh, the, 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 no more sin, no more Satan, no more sickness, no more pain, no more tears. That's the not yet. And I don't know about you, but the older I get, the more I want it. The more I fight sin, the more I fight Satan, the more uh, I look at my own life, the, uh, my own inner attitudes, the more I cry out for the redemption of my body. I long to be with the Lord. I think that's a growing perspective that maturing Christians have. We, we long to be with God. And that's what Paul is saying here. There is an important reason for knowing this and knowing the differences. And, he, and here's what's important between the already and the not yet. If we don't know it, we'll be, as we've been saying the last several weeks, disoriented. And as I shared over the last several weeks, you know, we've been a lot in the hospital lately. And we've seen many disoriented people. When you're in a bed and you're restrained and there's no windows in the room and you're under anesthesia and you're under all sorts of painkillers and you're under all sorts of other things and you're not of sound mind, you don't know where you are. Uh, you're disoriented. You, you're out of place. And here's what's interesting. The doctor told us what to do. You have to remind them of their name, the day, what time of day. Is it night or is it day? What date is it? Uh, show them a calendar. Remind them of who you are. And you make them oriented again. You bring them back of sound mind. You have to remind them. Isn't that what the Bible does to us at all times? Isn't the Bible always reminding us of what day it is redemptively? It's the last hour. It's the last days. Doesn't Peter say, I'm not ashamed to remind you again by way of reminder? Of course, because we need that, because we're still in the not yet. And while we're in the not yet, we need to be reminded constantly. Otherwise, we'll get disoriented. And guess what? The flesh, the world, the Satan is waiting right there to bring us back to where we were. How important it is to understand the already not yet perspective that the Bible teaches us. Uh, In Romans chapter 8, we have this whole ministry of the Holy Spirit. And in chapter uh, verse 14 to chapter verse 17, it starts speaking about being sons and daughters of God as we're led by the Spirit of God. The New Testament says so much about this tension of the already and not yet, but I believe it's Romans 
specifically Romans chapter 8, and specifically uh, verses 18 to 25, that speak about this time of suffering, that speak about this time of already, not yet. You can see the beauty and the symmetry and the harmony and the symphony of Romans chapter 8, and you can be so encouraged, and you can say yes, and you can say amen. There's, There's nothing in Romans chapter 8, not a verse of scripture, that you wouldn't shout amen and hallelujah to. We did it after just reading it today. Because we know that's the truth. But yet there is suffering. Yet there is weakness. Yet there is frailties. Yes, we do have our fears. And yes, we still have anxieties. And yes, we still have concerns. And yes, we still have doubts. And we have this tension that goes in and out of us. <coughs> is that true? Yes. It's part of New Testament life. Paul has been elaborating on the life of the spirit against the flesh. Where the law of Moses uncovers sinful desires and really doesn't empower one to live above those desires, Christ in his gospel does. Christ's gospel first declares sin is justified on the grounds of Christ's cross work and all their failure to keep the law is now pardoned. That's verses 1 to 4. And now also we receive the Spirit, and that's a new law of spiritual life in Christ Jesus. And we actually begin to fulfill the law from the heart. It's called the law of love. We love God and we love our neighbor. It's what Jesus Christ sums up as the two great commandments. He goes on to speak about from verses 5 to 11 that we're led by the Spirit, and what? We're not led by the flesh. We're not led by the law of Moses no more. The law of Moses stir up the flesh, but the Spirit of God incites us from the inside out with new feelings and new affections to live for the Lord and to love the Lord and to honor the Lord and obey the Lord. And when we fail to keep anything of the Lord, we're quick to repent and reach out to the Lord. This is being led by the Spirit. He then speaks about the natural... Obligation as children and as heirs to live by this new rule of love and this new rule by the Spirit. And as we do that, the Spirit bears witness with our spirits that we truly are God's children. Whether Jew or Gentile, we are now one new creation. This is what Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 8. And now Paul is speaking about the spiritual ministry and keeping us safe and sound until the glorious day of redemption. Which finds us right in the middle of our sermon tonight. He starts off in verse 18 that it's a time of suffering. I consider that the time of suffering is nothing to be compared to the glory that's going to be revealed. I ask us all today, how many of us really consider the time of suffering? How many consider what life and hardships come our way? Do we consider? Do we rationalize. When Paul says, I consider, we see a man holding a scale in his hand, and in one side of the scale is all the trials and tribulations and sufferings, what we think is a oh, surmountable over our life. And over here, he's got the glory to be revealed to us, that redemptive body, that new heaven, that new earth, where righteousness dwells, and the great reward is actually God himself. That's the great reward. Uninhibited presence of God, no sin, no Satan, no sickness, no doubt. We're not living by faith, we're living by sight, we're loving the Lord with all our heart, strength, soul, and mind. That is the reward. When you think about it from that perspective, everything is only momentary light affliction. 
It's a challenge to us. This is theology at its best. Because it challenges us to consider the hardships of life compared to the promises of God. Is it easy to complain about the hardships of life? We, We need to compare, not complain. Compare the hardships of life with what God has in store for us. And that's a time we live in. It's a time of suffering. This is how we deal with the already not yet. Many Christians misunderstand this and they even try avoiding it. It doesn't seem pleasing or even sound like Christianity, a, a time of suffering. For some, the reason is, uh, uh, is, for some, the reason I suppose is that somehow or another, a relationship with God is supposed to be uh, painless and pain free. Sort of a, a painless Christianity. How about a crossless Christianity? It's supposed to feel good. It's supposed to be nice. It's supposed to be sentimental. Christianity is anything but that. Christianity is, brings us face to face into a warfare. But even though we're in warfare with sin and with Satan and the world, we are in a kingdom filled with righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. It's not of this world. Peter talks about it. He says, you've been born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The hope and the joy and the peace that we have in times of suffering doesn't come from this world. It doesn't come from circumstance. It doesn't come from what's happening. It doesn't come from what's not happening. We don't have joy because we have the avoidance of anxiety. Our joy is based on what Christ has done, what Christ is doing, what Christ is going to do when he comes back. That's what our joy is based on. But from the apostles' perspective and understanding, and Christ himself, this is how we can talk about the already, not yet. We can actually talk about it as a time of suffering. But understand something. When Paul says the time of suffering, he only says it to make another point. The greater point is not compared to the glory that will be revealed. It's not about the suffering. It's about the glory. And to keep our mind and our hearts and our prayers and our praise fixed on the glory and not on the suffering. And that's what Paul is talking about. It, But Brian, I can't do that. Listen, I can't do it either. That's why Paul says in, in 15, 13, let God bless you with peace and joy in believing and in all hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that does it. It's the Holy Spirit that gets our help, uh, keeps our head held high when things are low. It's, just, it's supernatural. This is not something we can just put on easily. This is something that's produced in us as we walk with the Lord. For Paul, as we mentioned in verse 17, that all those who are led by the Spirit are sons and daughters of God, but if we're going to share in His glory, we share in His suffering. For Paul, just as Messiah suffered for the Father, so does Messiah's family suffer for the Son. That's part of being led by the Spirit. This time, Christians live in an hour to not just put on Christ and make no provision for the flesh. It's also a time of suffering with Christ. And it's important for us to understand that. 
a matter of fact, actually, it draws us closer to Christ. Sufferings draw us closer to Christ. Paul contrasts uh, present suffering with future glory as children, heirs, and, 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 and as I shared already, he, he, he mounts it up on, on a scale to look at one and look at the other, and how important that is in our own reasoning and our own Christian life. But before we move forward, let us identify what sufferings that Paul is talking about. What do you think he might be talking about sufferings? Well, persecution is one thing. But, you know, there are some things that are unique to Christianity. I'll speak about those first. And there are others that are general to all human beings. And he's speaking about both of you. When it comes to certain circumstances, we suffer persecution because we are associated with Christ. Philosophically, people don't want to hear that Jesus is what? Is the only way. I want to hear about it. They don't want to hear about sin. They don't want to hear about Jesus the only way. There are many ways, so on and so forth. And they don't want to hear about something else now. It's more popular than ever. Moral absolutes. Well, nothing to do with a moral absolute. They don't want to hear about, you know, uh, uh, monogamous, heterosexual relationships. Uh, they don't want to hear about that. It's anything goes, anytime, with anybody, anywhere. And so we will suffer. We'll suffer by the hands of family, friends, government, schools, churches, workplaces. Uh, we will suffer persecution because of our association with Christ and moral absolute. We will suffer. If we're a Christian for any length of time, depending on where we live uh, and the context we're saved in, you know, if you're saved in Zimbabwe, you are going to be persecuted probably a lot quicker than you will be in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn. But sooner or later, salvation in our hearts will bring us into conflict with the world around us. If we are Christians, if conflict comes, remember what Jesus says, don't be shocked that the world hates you. It actually hates me first, and that's why it's hating you. But remember, when it does hate you, it's a witness that you don't belong to the world, he says, but you belong to me. It's good news. Persecution is good news. So no matter where we are from different uh, geographical, political situations, religious contexts we were born again in will depend on the severity and the frequency of our persecutions. That's part of suffering. But suffering here also connotes hardships of any kind. And this is important also. It could be physical suffering. It could be pain. It could be a, a constant reminder of the not yet. It could be emotional suffering. It could be worry, anxiety for ourselves, for others, for our children. Children, every ache and pain, every daily fear reminds us of the not yet. Everyone. It's a constant reminder. All the tension we ever felt is a reminder that the not yet hasn't come. What do we do at these times? Do we get hopeful? Do we meditate? Do we pray? Do we put it into perspective? And that's my hope tonight. If any time you're suffering with any kind of suffering, any kind of ache, any kind of pain, any kind of persecution, do we take the quiet quality time, the quiet quality time to reflect on the weight of glory that's going to be revealed in us and to us on that day? 
Do we spend the quality, quiet time in prayer and meditation as we bring these aches and pains to God, as we bring our fears and anxieties to God, as we bring the tough people in our life to God, as we bring anxieties, as we bring persecutions, we bring them to God? Do we bring, honestly, do we bring our troubles to God? We should. That's what Paul wants us to do. That's what the Lord wants us to do. To be anxious for nothing. But we have to remember something this chapter teaches us. That suffering does not have the last word. Amen? Amen. Suffering does not have the last word. God has the last word. And this is found out in our hope. Hope is the answer. This living hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. In the face of life difficulties, those unique to Christians and those we have in common with the rest of the world, we have been saved, Paul says in verses 23 to 25, in the hope of our salvation. Do you know you're only half saved? Did you know that? But you're not half lost. You're half saved. Because our final redemption is when Christ comes and we get our glorified body. And it's not just a a resurrection of the soul, it's a resurrection of the whole man. It is a new heaven, it is a new earth. That is what Paul is talking about here. Yes, of course, uh, theologically we're saved, we can't be lost. But our full salvation is not yet here. So in a sense we're half saved, but we're never half lost. Paul goes on to say, like creation... Uh, Paul uses to underline the awesome event of our final salvation, the redemption of our bodies in the new heaven and new earth where there's no more sufferings. And as, as Paul pictures creation as this longing, this, this personification of everything in the creator world looking up and desiring to see, they can almost sense the redemption that belongs to the children of God. All creation is on its tippy toes, just longing and looking for this final day. It wants, to be, it wants to be liberated from its own bondage, but it knows it can't until the children of God are liberated first. It, it, it's a wonderful metaphor to gr- that grabs our attention of how awesome our salvation is. It's not about creation. There is a new creation. But the point is, Look, child, look, Christian, of how awesome of a salvation Christ has purchased for you. That even creation longs for it. And we are to long for it with eager expectation. I love the NAS says it best. With eager expectation, we wait for our salvation. And and in this time of suffering, under the power of the Holy Spirit, we wait. Patiently, not in anxiety, we wait patiently with a deep trust that God will see us through to the end, no matter how much hardship comes. Even while groaning, Paul says, on the inside with words inexpressible, we can be afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. We can be persecuted, but we're never forsaken. We can be struck down. But we're never destroyed. This is the Holy Spirit hope. No matter what comes our way, we continue to stand. No matter what life and Satan throws at us, we continue to praise God. 
We continue to move forward. The Holy Spirit sustains us and carries us safely to the end. Hope based on a person and his power. Not a wish. God himself, the Holy Spirit himself, groans with us. And groans with all creation for our final salvation. This is what Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 8. We patiently with settled dispositions trust in God in this hour we live in. This hour of suffering. In this hour of suffering, do you know that all things work together for good? Did you know that? In this hour of suffering, do you know that no one can condemn us? If God be for us, then who can be against us? If we continue to fight sin and Satan, nothing can condemn us. This is the hour and the time we live in. In this time of suffering, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? In this time of suffering, will more than conquerors through him who loves us? In this hour of suffering, I ask, can anything, neither death nor life, separate us? How about angels or rulers? How about things present or things to come? How about powers? How about height or death? How about this, as Paul says, nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that's found in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's how the Christian suffers. That's how the Christ, that's hope. When Paul is talking about you'll be filled with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit, that's what he's talking about. If you ever really wanted to know what the hope of the Holy Spirit is, read Romans chapter 8. That's it. Nothing separates us. All things work together for good. Suffering can't separate us. Satan can't separate us. Sin can't separate us. Death can't separate us. Nothing in the created order can separate us. Satan can't condemn us. Religion can't condemn us. Moses can't condemn us. The law can't condemn us. Nothing. Hands off. You're sealed with the first fruits of the Holy Spirit. That's how we suffer. We suffer with hope. The world can't figure us out. The world, for sure, has its sufferings. But unbelievers have no hope. Have no hope at all. You just look around at the hopelessness in the world. When it comes to application, when our lives are oriented by God's timing, by the gospel, And we know our place in it. We know we live in an already not yet timetable. When we are there, we have great peace and we have great joy by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's this teaching that we can pray, God, I can pray for healing. If it doesn't come, I can pray thy will be done. I'm in the already not yet. I have all faith to ask God to touch somebody, and if it doesn't happen, I can say with a liberated heart, thy will be done. I don't have to make a decree. I don't have to declare. I don't have to say you have to be healed. Don't have to do that. I simply ask God to touch a body, to heal a body, in sincerity of heart. But at the same time, I can say, but God, not my will, your will be done. I live in an already, not yet. This is your timetable. This is how you do it. How important it is to understand this 
in so many different areas of our Christian life. In this time of the not yet, as we read in Romans chapter 5, that God uses suffering for our good. God knows what's best. God understands. It's a witness to the world of God's goodness, that he's real and he can be trusted. What Paul starts in Romans chapter 5, verses 2 to 5, and then what he brings up again in Romans chapter 8, verses 28 and 29, where he says all things work together for good, he's just bringing up what he started in chapter 5, and now he's finishing it. All things work together for good as you suffer as a Christian. Because God's conforming us into the image of Jesus Christ. That's Romans chapter 8. In chapter 5, he's saying that even the hardships produce character in us. And character produces hope. And why? Because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts. We know it works. We don't have to talk ourselves into it. It is the power and the witness of the Holy Spirit that can take the worst of times in our life and produce the character of Christ. This is hope at its best. This is the time of suffering. So when Paul says this is the time of suffering or this is the hour of suffering, what he wants us to do is to recognize that the moment of glory is right around the corner. In the interim, while we are waiting, while we have the scales of our own life, while we are weighing up our own life, our own personal sufferings, what we see going on around us, and we're comparing it to the weight of glory. In the interim, God has taken it and forming and shaping us into the image of Jesus Christ, and he's given us not any kind of character. He's given us a hopeful character, and not just any kind of hopeful character, but a character that God can pour out his love in. Only the Christian has this. Only we have this. So in this time and hour of suffering, where we're called to suffer with Christ, because all those who are led by the Spirit, we put on Christ and we suffer with Christ. But understand something. It's not to be hopeless. It's to be filled, and as Paul says, abounding in hope by the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. And we bless you, O God. We thank you for every good and perfect gift. Father God, we thank you for understanding the time we live in. We thank you that we're not disoriented, Father God. We thank you that this is a time of testing. We thank you that this is a time of suffering, God. But we don't suffer in some kind of hopeless void or vacuum. But we suffer, Father God, with a full understanding of our final redemption. And in the interim, while we're waiting and longing with eager expectation for redemption of our bodies, Father God. We know that you're taking suffering, Father God, and using it for our own good, as you're conforming us somehow, some mysterious way, into the image of your only begotten Son. Father God, it's in his name we pray. Amen.